This episode is brought to you in part by Palm Beach Atlantic University's fully online Certificate in Cultural Apologetics program. Learn how to show the reasonableness and desirability of the gospel from leading Christian philosophers. For more information, go to pbaapologetics.com. As a young girl, what does it mean to be Korean or Asian? What does it mean to be American, whatever that means? And then what does it mean to be a believer? And even amongst the believer category, there's so many different depths where you think you're saved and you know salvation, but it's not until you get to the depths of brokenness and sanctification that you really realize you're starting to figure it out. Hey everybody, welcome to The Calling. My name is Richard Clark. I'm an editor at Christianity Today. Today on the podcast, we're going to have Gina Cho. When Gina Cho immigrated from Korea at four years old, she had her own challenges. She struggled to fit in at school. She often felt lonely and left out. Because of those challenges, she found herself chasing after personal success for security. She achieved it. She became a CPA, a public auditor for Coopers and Librand, a VP of a high-tech sports startup. At 29, she was named Entrepreneur of the Year by Erston Young. So she was like an incredibly successful person at that point. In the middle of all that success came a series of gut punches. The 1998 stock market crash led to a domino effect that left their financial well-being in question, exposed her husband to legal risk. Ultimately, he was convicted of white-collar crime and sent to federal prison, where he's been for nine years. What Gina Cho faced next was an unprecedented series of decisions and challenges. How does she maintain a thriving relationship with her husband when he's behind bars? Can she possibly raise six children by herself? And what is she going to tell her friends and church members? But just like when she was young, God used that challenge to grow her, this time teaching her to rely not so much on earthly success, but on on the grace and loving kindness of Jesus Christ. For Gina Cho, her time of weakness and brokenness have served the purpose of magnifying God's glory in her life. I really enjoyed my conversation with Gina. I'm extremely grateful for her opening up the way she did. I highly recommend you check out this the rest of this episode. Uh, but first, I wanted to remind you that Christianity Today magazine offers redemptive yet honest coverage of the people, events, and ideas shaping the church and culture. There's a lot of really great stuff coming out in the magazine these days. And if you subscribe now you will get 10 issues. You'll get tablet and PDF uh, editions of those issues. You'll get full web web access. You'll get online archives dating back to 1956. That includes our first ever issue of Christianity Today. You know, the one with Billy Graham writing stuff in it. It's pretty good. We've set up a special page that'll let you get a subscription. You can go to orderct.com slash the calling. That's orderct.com slash the calling to subscribe. Here is my interview with Gina Cho. So I was told that you you have listened to the podcast. Yes. You listened to a bunch of them. I did. (laughs) I think in the last maybe three weeks, hours and hours. And so, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a bad way to spend your time. (laughs) Well, you know what? No, for me, it's very uh, rare. Okay. And I happen to be spending a lot of time in the car. Yeah. And just to be alone sometimes when life gets so busy, it's just good to know 
what other people are going through, how they're thinking, and just even knowing more about this program and how it reaches such a diverse audience. Right. Do you? Uh, what was your favorite? Oh, it's a hard. I, I had bits and pieces, and the, I guess my favorite themes, without picking and choosing, you know. Mm-hmm. First of all, I just feel really surprised that I'm even here. Yeah. Because as you know, you meet and feature a lot of high-profile people who sure. are leaders of organizations and you know movements and things like that. And so I don't have all those credentials and. I know it's okay in the Christian world, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's just been so neat to see how God calls those of us who don't necessarily choose to be called in a certain way. Yeah. While, while we're on the subject of calling, yes. let's get into it. Yes. What would you say is your calling? Oh, that has changed so much. Yeah. And uh, there's seasons. I wonder, I was going to ask you, do you think there's one calling like for the rest of your life or else I feel like I'm wrestling with figuring that out? Yeah, me too. So as, as soon as I think I know yeah. and then God like throws a curveball, you yeah. know, and so who I thought I was kind of changes and morphs by his grace. Yeah. And I'm going to get a little emotional because um, I'm just so humbled that uh, he closes certain doors, you know. What do you mean by that? I think as a younger person... And I know people on the podcast can't see what I look like. Uh, I'm Asian American. I'm Korean American. Mm -hmm. And I happen to be a mom. And I was a professional. So I actually worked on 203 North LaSalle as a CPA and as an auditor for Coopers and Librand. And I always thought like the business world was where God designed me to be. Um, Just my story is I'm the oldest of four girls. In the Asian culture, it's very important to have the oldest boy. Okay. So even those kind of tensions that I see in different cultures Mm -hmm. and being one of the first immigrants from Korea in the 70s, I think I can relate to discrimination and being a minority in a different way. And if you don't like seek that out and if you're not intentional, we can get so inclusive. What do you mean by inclusive? Like just not even realizing that I'm from the suburbs and I can tend to be with mainly uh, Caucasian people and, you know, uh, depending on the church that you go to and just things like that. Yeah. So just the diversity of it. So, you know, talking about the calling part, I think my identity for so long was rooted maybe in the expectations of the immigrant story mm-hmm. of like the American life mm. and the American dream. And so in the back of my mind, I've always been processing as a young girl, what does it mean to be Korean or Asian? What does it mean to be American, whatever that means? Right. And then what does it mean to be a believer? And even amongst the believer category, there's so many different depths where you think you're saved and you know salvation, but it's not until you get to the depths of brokenness and sanctification mm-hmm. that you really realize you're starting to figure it out. So you um, immigrated here at what? How old were you? I was four. You were four. I was four. So it was really your parents who made that choice. Yes. And you were one of the first to come from South Korea? Yes. To America? Yes. So what was that like? Like set the yeah. historical context yes, I will. for us. I have a hard time wrapping my brain around it sometimes because mm-hmm. you know in the book of Esther how there's such like there's a season for everything and that's a time for, you know such as a time as this right yeah, yeah. and just being aware of the global issues of like the one child policy in China mm-hmm. and even as believers a desire to kind of plan your family and only have one or two children right. were very unusual in that way so when we came over I think my parents intuitively knew that there would not be many open doors for Korean girls so even if you're brilliant back then 
Thailand and, and South Korea, and South Korea okay. or in any Asian country, I think, sure. you may become like a high-level receptionist or admin person. Okay. And so I think for a number of reasons, they started over here because at the time they had two girls, my sister and I. So when we grew up, we were the only Koreans. I grew up on West Eastwood, and there was a school and a Lutheran church, and that's kind of who raised me. Mm-hmm. And our Korean church, but I couldn't speak English. And my my parents taught me how to say my name, my phone number, and my address. Mm-hmm. And on the first day of school, I had an emergency, and I forgot. I didn't know how to say, "Can I please go to the bathroom?" Oh wow! So I had the most terrible accident and got sent home. Uh, and I remember thinking, like, that I was, was a bad first day. Yeah, it was so shocking as a four year old, five year old, you yeah. know. And uh, so I remember just like feeling numb, being sent home. Mm-hmm. I thought it was because I got in trouble, but it was because I needed to change my clothes. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. And so uh, you just don't know. You, I didn't know the language. I felt very trapped. And I remember thinking to myself, whatever this like American slash English thing is, I am just gonna study so hard and learn it because I never want to feel hopeless and helpless again. Because yeah. if I can communicate, then I can know how to ask for help or kind of control my crisis, you know? Right. Or that's like the five-year-old thinking. But I think sometimes you it takes a while to look back and connect those dots mm-hmm. because life can get so busy and we don't even remember where that drive came from. Yeah. And because I was the son they never had, I, you know, a lot of other uh, immigrants can understand this. You kind of grow up raising your parents in a way, mm-hmm. because when we go to like McDonald's every once in a while or try to order something, right. they can't speak English well. Yeah. So the, the child becomes a spokesperson and translating things and, uh, you know, teaching the parent a yeah. little bit of a flip flop. Speaking for the yes. parent, that sort of thing. Yes, yes. So, so. I'm sorry, say again what your calling is, what you said your calling was. So I was saying back then I thought it was to be like the smartest and best and fastest and all of those kind of um, worldly things. And right now, I mean, it has just took me a long time to solidify this, but to be a biblical wife and to be a godly mother to my kids Mm -hmm. and just to be faithful to the Lord. Right. And to just share whatever, you know, talents and time and treasures that I have to bless other people mm-hmm. without measuring the result, knowing it's not truly me, but it's yeah. the Lord who works through me. Yeah, it seems like what you're saying is, because those are pretty um, open-ended callings. Yes. So it seems like what you're saying is your experience is the minute you set a path for your life, you're going to get set off course in yes. some way. in a huge way sometimes. yeah. 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 And so that's why I think I've had to be so intentional to wrestle with these things. Right. Um, when people meet me, I think that maybe I come off as being somewhat poised or confident or outgoing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there was this really long season of darkness and brokenness. And so when people know the before and after, it's not because of how smart Gina is or how strong Gina is. No, it's like sometimes some of us are so stubborn, maybe, or uh, strong-willed yeah. that like God has to break us yeah. for our own good. Yeah. When did you come to faith? I think I always was around a living faith. And even as a young child, mm-hmm. memorized scripture. I remember one summer, my mom had us write out the entire book of John mm. uh, during the summer. And we couldn't do anything else until we wrote like one or two chapters. I look back and 
I don't even know how I did it, but I actually cherish that time, and I wish I would have kept that notebook. Right. Um, but just the understanding the grammar of the Bible, and I, I'm hoping to instill that in some of my younger children now, but you have to be so intentional to block out that time and make it a priority. Yeah. So I know for sure like the age of 12 or 13, but I think at 16, there was like this Korean-American kind of movement at Trinity that they used to you know rent out, and it was called One in Love Oil, okay. and it was this whole kind of collaboration of some Korean-American pastors that mm-hmm. saw the next generation coming up. And I think that was like a revival meeting where I was one of the first ones to go through that. And I think that was when I became really intentional in high school. Mm -hmm. And I think for so many years, because there weren't a lot of Koreans in my life, I was around mainly um, non-Korean friends. Okay. And that was just a connection of faith, but also culture where I was reconnected with a lot of Korean Americans from this whole area. Was there a moment where you ever doubted your faith? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I don't know how much you know, but we have had like a series of crises. Mm -hmm. The biggest crisis that people can relate to is in 1998, the stock market crashed. Yeah. And at the time, we had three young children in a row, and my husband was helping manage his business, and it directly affected him. And that's another whole story I could spend an hour on, so I'll just give you the highlights so right now. So this is 98? 98. So not 2008. Correct. So this is almost 20 years ago. And that led a domino effect where uh, whenever a company that's in stocks and bonds fails or goes bankrupt, there's a procedure that is followed, and the government took 10 years to decide what to do. Mm-hmm. Ironically, I'm a CPA. I'm an auditor. This is what I do for a living. And I happen to be one of like the, you know, people on the fast track from University of Illinois in Champaign. And so knowing like what white collar was and things like that, people that have read the news and followed this, you know, with Enron and Martha Stewart and the the collapse of Anderson and all of those things, they triple the federal sentencing guidelines. So any person convicted of that, you know, they've been trying to make an example of. And uh, he got uh, a very long prison sentence. That was tied in with the the stock market crash in 98 somehow? Yes. And so it took them 10 years. So in 08, we found out. And so in 09, I was left uh, as a temporary single mom, I guess. Yeah. And at the time, we had six children. Yeah. So they were ages one, two, and three. And then we had an eight-year gap. And then uh, I think 11, 12, and 13. Okay. Yeah. So when, th- when that all sort of... I don't know a better way of putting this. Hit the fan. Yes. Like you had, you had four children. Yes. Well, I well when it happened initially, we had three children. Okay. And then God put me on a different path. I was actually running my family's business, raised some venture capital, helped do that. But then my heart was turning more towards my immediate family taught at a Christian school for two years. Mm -hmm. God used that in a powerful way where it was basic phonics. And my son, who was five, who thought he was stupid, actually thought he was really smart because he could learn how to read. And that just was amazing to me that you can actually incorporate God's word into every subject that you're teaching. And at the time, it made no sense because we did not tell anyone about what was happening to our family. Which was, that was taking place over the course of 10 years in your family. Yes. And so we were very private because we didn't even know what was going on. So you're dealing with just legal struggles. Yes, legal and financial. Okay. Because now you're, my husband couldn't work, and so mm-hmm. we had to just reinvent ourselves. Right. And uh, just a lot of different uh, ups and downs. And yeah. how much do you share and how much do you keep private? And Asians tend to be private in general. Sure. Um, I was getting up at like 4 in the morning and just like trying to pray, trying to read. And sometimes you can know so much scripture mm-hmm. that that becomes an idol. 
Mm. I don't know if you know what that means, but like I could like the knowledge, the knowledge of it, the study of it, the memorization of it. I would love to go to every Bible study. I like the the absorption of that theological structure and the history and the geography. And then there's some times where the Lord just like tests you. And do you know it not only in your head, but in your heart? Right. And will you act on it? And will you trust, you you know? I was just like seeking the Lord, trying to in my little feeble ways. And I just felt this peace that we need to put our kids there. Mm -hmm. Had exactly one month's uh, tuition. Mm -hmm. And so did that. Within that month, God did some amazing things. I found out that I could sub for minimum wage (laughs) to Mm. just help get to know the school better Mm -hmm. and to provide a little bit. So I was juggling like two different jobs. And then within the second month, I got called into the headmaster's office and said, we've had this situation that was unforeseen. Would you be willing to step up and become a full-time teacher? And this was for a fifth grade class. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked and I wasn't. Because I just knew that that was something from the Lord alone. Yeah. And it just gave me such a love for uh, rekindling, I guess, of for children and education. You know, right. I guess that's part of my calling is whatever I'm learning. I just love to share it and to let other people know what I'm learning and ask them for their opinion and kind of involve them in the process. Do you remember going to church in South Korea? You know, uh I remember being, I, I have like certain scenes in my mind, yes. Okay. My parents were like Christians, but I think that when you say church, mm-hmm. it's different to different people. Sure. You know? Yeah. And I think that when we came here, church can become so engulfing and all-encompassing, huh. where some people, you can be at church like three times a week. Yeah. And it's that delicate balance of, I'm not just worshiping in the church, I want to be worshiping all the time, yeah. but then uh, respecting, respecting and prioritizing my church family, mm-hmm. even in the hardest of situations. Right. So yes, I do, but I wish I remembered more. So when you were going to church during this 10-year phase... What was so you kept a lot of that to yourself? Did you ever open up to anyone inside of the church? And and I assume you did at some point. Yeah. And when you did, like, what was that feeling like? Yes, that's a really good question because the overall picture in the last maybe twenty years has been that both my parents and my uh, in laws were leaders and founders of the larger Korean churches. Mm-hmm. So in the Korean culture, it's kind of disrespectful if you don't go to the husband's church. Mm. So we did that for a little bit, but there's there were so many growing pains in that entire generation of not a lot of leaders. So we kind of left to a larger American church, yeah. and since then went through seasons of downsizing to churches that we kept on, you know, thinking were smaller. Yeah. So we did share it with uh, limited, you know, with limitations and discernment. Mm-hmm. But the coolest story is it's amazing when you do humble yourself and you start trusting. Mm-hmm. So we were at a church and uh, my husband says before he left, he goes, this is really weird. I think I see my high school football coach. Huh. And I was like, what? And he never really talked about it. And you know, my husband grew up in the city at Lane Tech. Okay. So he was one of the first Korean Americans to play football. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, had this impact on him that he never really talked about until you know later and the man's name was Keith Foley so he was the assistant football coach and I guess he went on to be the principal okay and is fairly well known in this area and he goes I, I'm not good with names but I know for sure that's him like yeah. his face so then we went over greeted them he totally remembered my husband you know all these years later we didn't go into everything we were so happy to meet and I ended up being in a bible study with this couple Keith and Joan mm-hmm 
And one day, Joan says to me, Gina, I haven't seen Peter for a while. I'm wondering, uh, is he okay? Has he been sick? Are you guys doing okay? And I remember at that moment, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was just arresting me a little bit, yeah. like stopping me. Yes. Like, I, I think I can trust her and I should like let her know. Yeah. So I think I pulled her aside and I whispered, like, oh, we need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. You know, he actually had to check in to a federal prison mm. and she was horrified. And literally, I want to say within a few months, that couple and another couple who we had trusted and that was counseling us, they actually drove eight hours north uh, to the prison in Duluth, Minnesota. That's amazing. And they visited him, and I was, like, so amazed. That's amazing. That's amazing. I want to stop there because I've had this experience where the church members ask you that question. Yeah. Is everything okay? That is such an important question for church people to ask one another. Amen. Because I feel like, so I was going through a divorce. You probably yes. saw that podcast. Yes. I was going through a divorce, and, like, people were constantly asking me that question and eventually I answered it you know like wow. what's going on why yeah. hasn't why haven't I seen your wife here that right. sort of thing and and that question is like such an easy well simple yes. thing to ask um and it's a little prodding mm -hmm. but that is what I think churches need more of is just like that sort of like very intimate and intentional prodding yes um that just goes hey some feels off, maybe it right. conveys that you've been paying attention to them. Yes, um, there's just a lot wrapped up in there. Yeah, which I think is really nice. Yeah, and, and it, it also gives you permission to, like, I think the 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 feeling like you and I both might have had mm -hmm. is, I don't want to burden people with this. Right. I don't want this to, in addition to some personal embarrassment. Right. Like we don't want to un, un, uh, burden people with our struggles. Right. Just inherently. So what's interesting about what you just said right now is mm -hmm. there is a uh, element of embarrassment and in, I've just been thinking about this and, you know, processing it, especially in the uh, Asian culture. Yeah. There's that whole honor and shame thing. Mm -hmm. So people don't really talk about anything negative that they're going through and it's very private. So you right. kind of stay stuck there right. and you don't know what to do and it can lead a spiral of depression, anxiety, you know, masking the true root <laughs> cause of what's going on and just trying to manage the symptoms and all those things. So I didn't know if you were going to bring that up on your personal end, but when I was, when I hit rock bottom, yeah. I was just so shocked and angry that I would, in my mind, I know we're not supposed to compare, <laughs> but kind of compare it with, okay, is this kind of like a divorce? We're married. And there's a break of trust. Mm. I mean, how do I process that? Yeah. But it's kind of like a death of dreams yep. of like how you thought your life was supposed to be and how it's turning out mm -hmm. and how it's spiraling out of control. Yeah. And then it's kind of like I would like research and listen to sermons or podcasts for military families because right. they get the separation issue. Yeah. But he's in the government because he's in trouble, not because he's serving the yes. country. You know what I mean? There's, it's really hard to yes. suffer through something and no one, it just feels like you're all alone. And yes. I had a smaller version, like divorce yes. is a very common yes. thing. But um, especially in Christian circles, the man is not usually the one who's being left. Right. And that was something where I felt very alone and wow. was doing that same thing, like searching, Googling, yes. Yes. like when a man is yeah. like cheated on or something right. like, you know, those were the things. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I totally relate to that. And the bottom line is like every situation is super different yes. in all sorts of different ways, even right. like a standard cliche 
divorce is, right. is a different, weird, complex thing. And I think that the fact that you even do this for a living and a profession and a job, mm-hmm. and the fact that I'm even here, that's probably the main reason. Uh, if anyone, if even one person out there can be encouraged or challenged because they feel so alone, yeah. just to hear someone else's story and God's faithfulness, mm-hmm. I would just like cling to those podcasts or like, you know, those interviews or those articles and like in the moment you did in the moment or like try to take uh, screenshots on my phone or, you know, save all the links and different things like that and like wrestle with, okay, do I agree with this? Like theologically and uh, it's not the prosperity gospel, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, if the Lord says to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, is that really only for some people or for all of us? And does God change my desires or what I'm going to to strive after or what I thought were my desires. This episode of The Calling is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is both faithful to the original languages and really easy to read. You can learn more about the Christian Standard Bible at csbible.com ct. That's csbible.com ct. I talked to Trevin Wax, Bible and Reference Publisher for LifeWay, about how intense discussions about designing a Bible can often be. When you get people together who love God and His Word and love God's people and want to get God's Word out to as many people as possible, um, the design, the interior, the packaging, the cover of a Bible really matters. Uh, Because it's going to, you know, the packaging and the outside really matters because of how it's going to um, be picked up off the shelf or first received in hand if it's a gift. But then the interior really matters too because you want people to be reading the Bible, right? You don't just want to, I like to say to our team, we don't want to just move Bibles from the shelf of a bookstore, you know, or from a warehouse, you know, to someone who buys online to someone's shelf at home where that's where it just sits and it's just a gift we really want people to to get into god's word and to encounter god in his word and so um so the interior design of how does this bible welcome you and how does it when you get people around the table that care very deeply about that experience there's a lot of back and forth and there's a lot of pushback and feedback and criticism and but but the one thing i love about the team i get to work with is that everybody wants the bible to be the best it can possibly be in its presentation and form because they want people to be engaging it this episode of the calling was brought to you by the christian standard bible go to csbible.com ct to find the right christian standard bible edition for you were your uh were your parents are they still alive Yes, they are. And and how did, how did that um, go over? Yes. You know, I am closer now to my parents than I have ever been and closest to my in-laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am very blessed. Yeah. And one day my dad said, you know, we just feel terrible. We can't help you because they went through their own different financial challenges and struggles, both couples. And they just feel terrible that I'm going through this. And mm-hmm. Literally one day I said, Dad, don't worry. You know why? Because if you were wealthy and you were the one that like rescued me and could provide a place for us to live and help me with the kids and do all these things, then God would never get the glory. Yeah. You know? So it's like the Lord orchestrated and allowed so many things to happen that are unbelievable, that are beyond our control, to make it so impossibly hard that there's no hope apart from what he is doing. It's striking to me. You talked a lot about the honor and shame thing, and it's interesting they didn't 
seem to feed into that at all? They did. They were very private. And so yeah. uh, even that, they were like, I don't know if you should say anything. Or okay. as I would trust my closer Korean friends of my age, mm -hmm. you know, their parents are friends with my parents. And the really neat thing is God is so gracious. As different friends told their parents not to judge us, but to be like, Mom, this is what they're going through. Mm. Um, the neatest thing is how God provided things that we never even knew existed. Mm -hmm like food stamps and mm. food pantry and things that people just don't talk about. Yeah. There's actually a whole network of families in need in the suburbs that you would never know because wow. they live in a nice house. And to me, there's a different definition of homelessness. It's not just someone on the street that looks like they haven't showered in a while, yeah. but it's you know the single mom who doesn't know if they're going to make their rent and what can you sell and what can you do and how many more hours can you work? Right. So it just, my mind and That has, was you? That was you going through Yeah, that? there were seasons yeah. where, um, you know, uh, I thought I found the right job and I was being paid well. And then the economic crisis hits the housing market. Yeah. Um, you really want to trust people who hire you and you want the best and you work really hard. And then you learn that, you know, when you hire someone, the the ownership or the leadership might have a different direction for the business so just to hold all things loosely mm -hmm. and at the time I think each time something happened like that it gave it showed me a little more of what I thought was my provider and now I've come to realize you know what it's not your position it's not your paycheck it's not even um, all of the prestigious awards and you know things like that it ultimately is the Lord were you working when your husband was with you so I kind of... You, you were a teacher. No, well, so, no, I, I did oh, that. Became, that I, I, I was a yeah. teacher for two years. There's a lot of different changes. Sorry. sorry yeah. It's a little no. confusing. And then I discovered homeschooling, and I got really burnt out from teaching. Okay. And I realized I was pouring so much into all of my students who I adored yeah. and wanted to help them and make class fun. And, you know, knowing that I have one girl and five boys, yeah. like boys, I'll, it's, uh, my daughter too, but like people usually are not designed to sit down for eight hours straight. And just like studying the educational system and the pros and cons, why I used to left to homeschool my kids. So I homeschooled the older three for four years and was trying to figure all those things out. And I did have to go back to work. So after my sixth child, I was uh, running three sister companies, loved it, helped the business so much. They were dear friends of ours, so grateful. And then the housing market uh, was drastically affected yeah. in 2010. And so then that closed that door. So for the first time, I was on unemployment. Mm -hmm. didn't really know how all of those things worked. I see it on the employer side, hiring people, but then now being the employee. Um, and so then God closed some doors. I actually went to a meeting at Wheaton College at the Billy Graham Center for Prison Ministry mm -hmm. and was so happy to find it. And I made this appointment and I met with this woman. And uh, my kids, my older two graduated just recently from Taylor University. Mm -hmm. I was at a prayer meeting. And as we were praying for the international students, from other countries, I just really had a heart for the fatherless, for people that didn't have active parents or yeah. parents around. And I just yeah. opened up a whole new world, you know? Yeah. So then that person, the Provost's wife there, so sweet, she connected me to Wheaton, went for this meeting, and I was just trying to like ask her questions about the effects of incarceration and prison on the family and the kids, and what is the Bible say about biblical marriage, and just wrestling with all of these things. And we were going through a really difficult time, and she's like, hey, I just noticed you told me that you're a CPA and you're an accountant. 
are you looking for a job? I'm like, I am. Why do you ask? She's like, just today there was a listing on um, one of the websites and Trinity is hiring. Mm -hmm. And I was like, really? She's like, my good friend runs the program over there. So I went to apply and I ended up getting a a, a class to teach right away, management science. (laughs) So it's a pretty technical class. And that was uh, about four years ago. Mm-hmm. So I teach part-time as adjunct at Trinity University in Deerfield. Mm-hmm. Totally unexpected. And I think that's what propelled me to even start sharing my story. Because yeah. if you know your st- the statistics of why the young people, young adults, are like fleeing the faith and the church, uh, having three 20-year-olds myself and going through a lot of rebellion and things, mm-hmm. they don't trust authority. Right. Like they feel like people are not transparent and uh, authentic, mm-hmm. not just with their successes, but with all of their failures. Not that they have to di- divulge everything. Right. And so with the Internet these days, I thought, I don't want to be that person that comes <laughs> off as this professor that knows everything. Yeah. And then I was reading all these books and um speakers about leadership and that's something I've always studied since the age of like 15 Uh, just being in different leadership roles in the church and things and the three words that just blew my mind is you know leadership isn't just success it's not just um, telling people what to do Mm -hmm. it's not management leadership is relationship Mm -hmm. and if I want these kids to graduate I think there were eight kids they were guys they were like you know senioritis just wanting to graduate and get out. It was a really technical class. I'm like, how can I make three-dimensional Excel spreadsheets interesting to 20-year-olds, right? And the first day, I just felt like the Lord was telling me, you've got to be real and you've got to build trust. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, like for example, before I met you, we all Google each other to figure out like, okay, <laughs> you know, what do I know about this person? Right. And is this person trustworthy? And why are they a speaker? And things like that. Yeah. And I did not want anyone to feel like I was saying who I was in one way mm-hmm. and then finding out something different. Right. You know? Yeah. And it's kind of like in the in the New Testament with Paul. Like he's very upfront about all of his previous life and the things he did wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's what he used to gain the trust, mm-hmm. that there was this conversion yeah. Yeah. and this change. So I brought five objects and I kind of shared a little bit of my story of who I was BC, actually before crisis. Yeah. I made them guess what the crisis was because this was a <laughs> business class. Uh-huh. And then I said, and so the neatest thing was, there was a student, I think I have this email, I could read you an excerpt. There was a student who said, um, who I was kind of a little bit more warned that he wasn't maybe the best, um, strongest student. Uh-huh. And I said, I will give you extra credit if you can guess what the purpose of this clear plastic bag is. Because I didn't tell them the piece about prison. Because mm-hmm. you can't bring anything in there unless it... Uh, you know, is see-through, it's in a Ziploc bag. I mean, there's so much security I could tell you about, right? So then when I um, said that, and I said, here's your first assignment. I just want you to tell me what you think management science is without even opening your book. Uh And I want you to tell me what you think is in this clear, what the purpose of this clear plastic bag is. Mm -hmm. And there was this guy, he's African-American, and I was shocked because it was an afternoon class, and he wrote very concisely, briefly, and it blew my mind because he didn't come off as being highly intelligent, didn't really speak much, looked kind of angry at life, you know? Can I read you this little excerpt really quick? Go for it. So I'm not even going to share his name, but uh, I was so grateful. And he said, um, I believe that management science is the learning of concept, 
concepts and methods that addresses and solves issues that will sharpen your real life and workforce experiences. My honest opinion, I said, what can I do? What do you think I did well in my first class? Because I was kind of nervous too. Yeah. It's that delicate balance of you want to know what you're doing, but you don't want to become a so, a so prideful that I feel like we always have areas we can improve. Mm-hmm. So I said, name one thing that you liked about the class or that like touched you and one thing I could do differently or better. Yeah. And so within an hour of the class, he just said, uh, my honest opinion, I love the class today and especially your method of teaching. I have never in my four years had any professor that understood the importance of relating to their students before attempting to teach them anything. Hmm. You really have a very effective approach to grabbing the attention, in my opinion. So that was like yeah. so affirming because I, I even said, Lord, if this is not your will, yeah. like close this door right. because I didn't really you know, know the world of being a professor, instructor, all of those things. And then the last part, this was just so interesting because I didn't tell them anything beyond that. Mm-hmm. My attempt at your transparent bag, it is an example of your life. Before, now this is a funny little gram- grammatical typo, typo that made me laugh. Mm-hmm. Before, you was afraid mm-hmm. <laughs> to show the things that were inside, such as feelings and emotions, but now you wear this bag to show everyone your faith in the Lord, which allows you to no longer be afraid to show yourself to anyone because you know the Lord is in control. So you live your life open and see-through only for the Lord. Hmm. Does that blow your mind? That's great. So I just, I mean, if he hears this, I hope he gets in contact with me. But that just like spoke volumes. Yeah. Because sometimes you forget that we all need encouragement. Yeah. And just affirmation to know, are we in the will of God? Yeah. Uh, is this the right decision and choice, you know? What's been the biggest struggle for you? The biggest struggle for me is fully, completely resting in the Lord mm-hmm. and being diligent and faithful and not worrying so much because... Um, a lot of detours and delays have happened in the last t- uh, t- eight years. So he was supposed to be released, uh, came home for six months. Coach Foley w- was along with us every step of the way. He came to every hearing. Mm-hmm. And we were all shocked when he had a second sentence that was unrelated to something that he wanted to take responsibility for. Oh, wow. So Your husband did? Yes. So, so those six months, I mean, he definitely made some mistakes. And we never want to discount the sin. But it has been a shocking view and perspective of the system that's Mm -hmm. broken and like last night in my class I taught at Trinity uh, we watched the entire TED talk uh, from Brian Stevenson about mass incarceration and the problems going on I never thought that I would be a part of that but being impacted for so many years I see the injustices on the inside and the outside and I can tell you so many amazing stories of how God is working and there's actually sometimes more racial reconciliation behind there when there's trust that's built across color and race and all of those things From Christianity Today, this is Mike Cosper. I'm the director of CT Media and one of the hosts of The Bulletin, a podcast about the people, events, and issues that are shaping our world. Each week on The Bulletin, we bring in a variety of guests for conversations about the most important questions Christians are asking. Our hope is to encourage the church to live with a faithful presence in a fallen world and to cut through the polarizing noise that's dividing not just the church, but the communities around us. New episodes of The Bulletin come out every Friday, so subscribe today, wherever you get your podcasts. So you, so you feel like um, 
what's what's the injustice you're seeing like what's the there's there's obviously like we wouldn't want to do do away with right. incarceration right? right so what's the um what's the point at which you feel like okay this is getting this is like beyond some uh principle of justice right so there are so many people there who have no resources to have a lawyer yeah. So you have to depend on the public defendant system, mm-hmm. and that's what happened to us. Mm-hmm. So you feel like you have no voice, and you're just at the mercy of whoever will help you. And then not only that, the categories of the things that people are sentenced for and just the procedures, it is – there's so many things that could go wrong or out of your control. Kind of random. Yes. Yeah. And so you try to follow all the rules. And, you know, biblically, we believe – we know that – we are to submit to authority, mm-hmm. whether we mm-hmm. agree with government or not. And I'm very conscious of that. Yeah. And ultimately, God is the true authority. He's sovereign. His sovereignty is over all the injustices still. And he will still use it for his good, right? Mm-hmm. But do we trust him enough in that moment where we feel like it's we don't deserve it or it's the wrong thing or we just get angry? There's a price to pay for all of these consequences of someone's sin Mm -hmm. and should you be incarcerating someone at the cost of forty thousand dollars a year to the taxpayers (laughs) right Mm -hmm. when the place that they're in there are no bars they could walk off and is that more effectively and efficiently served on house arrest Mm -hmm. or by changing and giving them more support and education versus just separation yeah you know and i mean one of the things that I was explaining to Morgan, like last week we went to visit and we were in a federal prison and our car happened to break down in the parking lot. That has never happened in the last eight years. Yeah. So I'm with five of my six kids. It's burning hot. It's a Sunday. We don't know what to do. We have to call a tow truck. And so we, they, I said, can you let us at least wait in the waiting room? Because mm-hmm. now the visits were over. And they said, yes. And my husband had heard about what happened, and he ran out, and he said, can I please talk to my family? We're all shaken, and there was a glass window separating us, and they would not let him talk to us. So it's just things like that. Like, they could have at least let him have five minutes. You know, we're not going to do anything illegal. Yeah, there's there's like an inhumanity, Yeah, like, for better or for worse. I don't know. I mean, there's reasons for these things. But, like, in that moment, you're feeling like we are suddenly not human or right. being treated as yes. human beings. Yes, and yeah. the searches that you see people having to go through yeah. and you know, you can't wear certain colors and I have a certain pair of shoes that I can only wear cuz they can't be open-toed mm-hmm. and we've gotten turned away from visits and had to run to the dollar store and try to find clothes and you know, and I have to say though, it's such a blessing because when we step out in faith through networking, through Facebook, whatever, privately, you know, God has always offered and supplied someone that knows someone that allows us to stay in their home mm-hmm. during these visits. Mm-hmm. So that is just, the stories are unbelievable. Yeah. And for my kids to grow up seeing how God provides through the body of Christ right. and just through kind people who want to help, it has completely shifted my priorities. Mm-hmm. You know, how can you ever just focus on your comfort and, you know, your future wealth or whatever when there is so much suffering and there's practical things that we can do? Yeah. One of the things that struck me about your husband's story as you were talking about it is he's a he's uh he's been convicted of white collar crime and yet he does not have any money with which to defend himself, which seems like to me from the outside, yeah, uh the worst of both worlds. Right. Because right. because the presumption when you're 
thinking of a white collar criminal is that they are going to probably like just throw the book at them. That's right. what you want to say because they have everything they need to defend themselves. But if that's not actually true, if that assumption mm, is wrong, that's a great point. Then they're uh, they're gonna you know they're gonna have a hard time of it. Yeah, that's a great point. Have you found have you found people are less? I don't know what you would compare it to. You yeah. don't really have a point of right. comparison. But do you feel like people are less um, sympathetic to to your husband because of the the type of crime that he was uh, convicted for? No, you know what's interesting is. I never really thought about that until you brought that up, but mm-hmm. uh, that's so fascinating how we can categorize different kinds of sin yeah. and crimes, right? Yeah. And we even do that subconsciously. Yeah. Like maybe I wouldn't be as public if it was something that was so embarrassing right. that was you know, involving children or just something like that yep. or even drugs. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's interesting because the people who know us know who we were before and after. And I mean, you know this too. You're, you find out who your family and friends really are, not when you're wealthy, not when you're successful and independent. It's when you have nothing. Yeah. And it's when you're in the, 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 the depths of you know, darkness. Yeah. And those are the ones that show up with the meals or the hand-me-downs or you know, places to stay. Were you pleasantly surprised? You know, that's a good question. Yes and no. Yeah. We have received so much grace and yet there are a lot of broken relationships yeah. that I don't know if they, only, it's only by God's grace that they could ever be reconciled. Mm-hmm. And the story is yet to be unwritten. And I think sometimes we can force reconciliation mm-hmm. and try so hard to uh, do something or control something to force that person to forgive you. You right. know what I mean? Right. Um, so I've just learned to be more patient yeah. and even letting the Lord like, take control of those areas yep. and to be ready when the Lord moves, but not to feel like I'm defining my worth mm-hmm. by that one broken relationship. Okay. Last question. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's going to be, I kind of do, but you go, you go ahead and ask me <laughs> if you could get I, yeah. into a time machine, go mm-hmm. back in time, step out of that time machine and introduce yourself to yourself. What would you say? I thought about this on the way here as I was stuck in traffic, (laughs) and there was actually a phenomenal Christian lawyer that has helped me so much personally. And one day we were in the elevator, and he said to me, Gina, just because you're Korean-American and you're an intelligent woman, I just want you to know you don't have to know the answer. Mm. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, every Asian that I know in the city of Chicago and in our church, they feel this pressure to know the answer. Why is that? Because we're raised and trained like you get penalized for not getting an A and not knowing the answer. Whether it's a grade, a test, or just, you know, why didn't you clean your room? And sometimes you don't know. Is it like an immigrant mindset thing? I think it's just like the type A personality and, you know, uh, the expectation of your parents and what you put on yourself even. So I guess that's why I'm just more intentional to understand with my kids, like the why behind it Mm -hmm. and not just like what is the answer. Right. And there's so many levels to that. So like today, it's okay like that I don't really know every detail of my schedule and my five-year plan. Like there is none right now. I try to have goals, you know, and a vision. But I think that you can die under the pressure of not knowing the answer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, will I stay married? Will the Lord provide? Am I in the right job, in the right profession? Um, Should I start my own business? You know, all of these things that are swirling. And like in your situation too, am I spending enough time with my kids? And do we talk about the crisis in our family? Do we not? How much do we acknowledge it? I don't want to enable my kids. And yet I want to be there for them. 
to give them permission to grieve and to know they're different. Their childhood was different, you know? And uh, just letting them rest that God will take care of us. You've been listening to The Calling. Gina Cho is an adjunct professor of business at Trinity International University. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes. The Calling is produced by me and Morgan Lee. It's edited by Jonathan Clausen. Theme music by Lee Rosevere, used under Creative Commons 4.0. This episode of The Calling was brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Go to csbible.com ct to find the right Christian Standard Bible edition for you.